Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here this morning on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. This is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. So we were going to spend the rest of the hour, or we were going to spend this hour, um, on part two of the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex with Jokahashima Jinsai. But we came across something an article from AZ Central. The name of the article is Arizona Communities Would Collapse Without Cheap Prison Labor Corrections, Director Says. So I really wanted to get Hishima's commentary, his thoughts, his wisdom on this article. So I read the very first part of the article, and we are going to spend, actually now, the rest of the, the hour hearing from 
Jokohashima Jinsai about this collapse of a state without cheap prison labor. Wow. If this doesn't change your mind, or at least shift it <laughs> in some other direction around what is taking place within this country, um, well, we'll see you next week. But for now, let's get started um, and let's get going hearing from Jokohashima Jinsai. Arizona Department of Corrections Director David Shin said Arizona communities would collapse without cheap prison labor during testimony before the Joint Legislative Budget Committee Thursday. Shin made the statement while answering questions about a request for proposal for a contract to run the Florence West Prison. Senator David Gowan asked, asked Shin excuse me, about the nature of the work the prisoners do at the Florence West Prison. In Arizona, all people in state prisons are forced to work 40 hours a week with exceptions for prisoners with health care conditions and other conflicting programming schedules. Some prisoners earn just 10 cents an hour for their work. These are low-level worker inmates that worker that work in the communities around the county itself, I would imagine, Gowan asked. Yes, the department does more than just incarcerate folks, Shin replied. There are services that this department provides to city, county, local jurisdictions that simply can't be quantified at a rate that most jurisdictions could ever afford. If you were to remove these folks from that equation, things would collapse in many of your counties for your constituents. Defending the choice to keep state and private prisons open despite dwindling populations, Shin told legislators, while it doesn't necessarily serve the department in the best interest to have these places open, we have to do it to support Arizona. Without the ability to have these folks at far-flung places like Apache, like Globe, like Fort Grant, even like Florence West. Communities wouldn't have access to these resources or services and literally would have to spend more to be able to provide that to their constituents, Shin said. All right, well, quite unsurprisingly, there was quite a pause there, but I did ask Hashima to respond. Uh, first of all, for any of your listeners who are not aware, the nature of voluntary servitude in the United States of America hasn't changed since it was introduced in the 13 original colonies. The only thing that has changed is the process by which involuntary servitude is exploited. Uh, as you just read, First of all, so everyone understands, that is not unique to the Arizona Department of Corrections. It is universal to every Department of Corrections across the United States of America. Everyone is forced to work at minimum whatever hours that the prison, uh, uh, the prison administration dines they work in whatever assignment they give. The primary, uh, the primary motive force for slavery in the modern prison industrial slave complex is the deferment of cost. Primarily operational cost to maintain and operate a prison or the municipality in which the prison is uh, set as you see here in Arizona. Um, what you see in Arizona is simply a state municipality that has become dependent on free labor. Um, very, very similar to the, the whole convict lease system that exists in this country for well over 100 years. Immediately following the end of shadow slavery, they introduced what we know today as what has evolved into the prison industrial slave complex. At the time, it was called convict leases. Um, when you have municipalities who are openly stating that they would collapse if not for compulsory free or low-cost labor from citizens who have been 
placed in human bondage. They have a word for that. It's called slavery. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, many people unfortunately believe freed the slaves. That's not true. That is a historic inaccuracy. The 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution is an amendment that was introduced to define the parameters by which slavery would evolve outside of its, sh its shadow form, which was an outgrowth of a conflict between industrial capitalists and agrarian capitalists. Industrial capitalists won. So the new form for the exploitation of human bondage in the United States of America will be done within what they call the color of law. It states there shall need to be slavery nor involuntary servitude in the United States of America say you be duly convicted of a crime. So what that means is the door to slavery is a felony conviction. Almost overnight, new laws were introduced to criminalize conduct, behavior, even attitudes that were previously not criminal, like loitering, uh, using profanity in public, Walking down the street when you don't have a job, these were all punishable by arrest and uh, internment into the convict lease system. Uh, in the modern prison industrial slave complex, we can take the state of California, for instance, literally hundreds of millions of dollars a year in costs that normally be incurred by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is deferred because of compulsory prison labor. Clerks across every length and breadth of clerical duty is carried out by prisons. The food is prepared by prisons. Trash is removed from housing units and kitchens by prisons. Food is delivered to the prison population by prisoners. Prisons clean the prisons. prisons prisoners maintain the care of prison grounds. I could go on and on and on and on and on. In Arizona, they were given, they, they said 10 cent, like 10 cent was a low price. The uh, the lowest pay number here in the unit that I'm currently interred for a porter, that's someone that mops the floors, basically a janitor that passes out food, is six cent an hour. That's the lowest pay number. The highest pay number is 12 cent an hour. So you got nine porters is getting paid between six and twelve cents an hour to uh, work your janitors for eight hours. What you have in the state of Arizona is nothing different than you have in every state in this country. You have legal slavery. Now, what makes it particularly morally repugnant is you have your government speaking of human bondage as an aspect of their social life which they can't do without and this is supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave is that right mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> well that's a contradiction that's it's a, a contradiction that can't be resolved it, it's a contradiction that you you can't you can't put lipstick on a pig and and call it a beauty queen it's a pig um you can't redefine slavery and, and and call it something like uh, uh, prison, prisoner labor. That's not what it is. You got slaves. Point blank, plain and simple. The United States Supreme Court uh, stated in at least three cases that prisoners only have those rights that the state and its benevolence dying to bestow upon them and they are by law for all intents and purposes slaves of the state. That came from the U.S. Supreme Court. How is it the vast majority of people in this society do not know or are wholly unaware or oblivious of the fact that your society functions on human bondage? That there are people that's being removed from your community, placed inside a concentration camp environments, and forced to work for nothing. You have municipalities, places like Arizona, who actually state that they were to abandon this practice, their municipalities would collapse. 
And so that's yeah. that's that's mind boggling. That that's that's uh <clears throat> that should shock the conscience. Every single person is hearing these words touch your ears. If for whatever reason it doesn't, that's something you're gonna have to look into yourself. Determine why is that? What process of orientation that you gone through where you could turn a blind eye to what you know to be absolutely evil? Absolutely. Have you? I mean, have we as a society, or has this society, become so jaded, so morally degraded that you would accept slavery being carried out in your land? That the daily processes of your public life is dependent upon men and women being forced to work for nothing. I mean, the fact that we're having this conversation in 2022 in and of itself should be disturbing. It should reveal to at least some of us the nature and structure of our society. We live in a society that feels comfortable not only having this dialogue, in a uh, public forum like the Senate, but supporting that position with votes, with tax dollars, with social policy that they write in the law. You have legalized slavery in your country and you're not doing nothing about it. What does that say about you? At some point, as just principal people. I mean, you didn't necessarily have to be a revolutionary. Just just being a, a, a principal person. You have to say that's morally, that's morally repugnant. It's wrong. I'm, you can't do that in my name. And move to act in accordance with that thought. Where we don't do that, this will continue to expand. But what I think one of the greatest contradictions we experience in this country is people fail to make the interconnection between what occurs in the prison industrial slave complex and the social policies that impact your community on a day-to-day basis. In the state of California, you have 10,000 new laws produced every year. Wrap your head around it. They're introducing thousands of new ways to criminalize your daily life. Do you think that's by chance a happenstance? You don't believe it's some motor force behind that particular authoritarian idea. Wrap your head around this. The biggest industry in the state of California is not Silicon Valley. It's not Hollywood. It's not the music industry. It's prisons. Human bondage is the biggest industry, the fifth largest economy on the planet Earth. There's been an 800% increase in the prison population in the state of California over the last 25 years. It costs $106,000 a year for a prison a single human. I promise you they are not spending a fraction of 1% of that on keeping us inside of these concrete boxes. The vast majority of that money is going to line the pockets prison guards, prison administrators, and the the millions and millions of companies and corporations that they do business with on a day-to-day basis, all done with your tax dollars and our free labor. I mean, the logical... (laughs) Yeah. That's an oxymoron. It is. It really is. That really is an oxymoron. The state that this is a, a, a somehow a, a public safety policy. Okay, so understand this. Here you have a entrenched industrial interest whose continued profit margin, political influence, and social benefits is predicated upon locking up as many humans as they possibly can for as long as they possibly can. How is it in their interest to reduce the prison population or to prevent crime? It's not. That's why they produce 10,000 laws every year. 
That's why they maintain perpetual public unsafeness. So this cycle can continue. So they maintain their job security. That's why conditions in prison are what they are. It's not by chance they have to stand. They control every aspect of these institutions. If they wanted to produce healthy, viable citizens to return back to their communities by a positive leaf of development of their people, they could. They don't. That's not by chance they have to stand. It's by design. It's intentional. It's a process. They've developed this process to a science. That's why you have a 65% recidivism rate with certain cohorts of prisoners in the state of California. And it's the same across this country. I would say the market variation is no more than 5%. You could actually take a person out of their community predicated upon some law or policy that you pass, you pass or criminalizing survival activity. Reorientate the way they think because of the environment that you place them in that you control completely. Fail to give them any form of education or job skills. Release them back to the community. What you think they're going to do in a capitalist society where the only way you can make money is to sell your labor and you structure social policies in your society to ensure that such people are unemployable. You made certain that if you got that tag ex-con, you ain't getting no job. What you think they're going to do? Still got to eat. You're going to force them from the above ground economy to the underground economy. Everything in the underground economy is a crime. Now, if we have failed to collectively produce new institutions, new ways to ensure that our brothers and sisters that's leaving these, 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 these slave camps come back to our community and they have a viable means to survive, and we leave it up to the state, what the state going to do is they're going to ensure that they force them back into the underground economy where everything is illegal and they go right back to prison so they can keep making money off. There is no viable solution to this particular contradiction that resides with the state. It's got to reside with the people. The problem is the vast majority of people in the society don't even realize they live in the slave state. Go ahead, sister. Yeah. And then we were denied even the opportunity to question that very fact when our governor, Governor Newsom, pressured those legislators, those senators, to block the vote, block the opportunity for the bill, the ACA 3 bill to end slavery in California blocked it from coming to the floor for one last time so that it could be um, voted just to get on the ballot. So we were denied as voters to even question, do we know that we're living in a, in a slave state? Well, the most powerful lobbying force in the state of California is California Congressional Peace Officers Association. I can promise you those millions of dollars in lobbying funds that they have at their disposal had a role in that particular decision process by Mr. Newsom and the rest of the legislators that supported that decision. They wanted to vote on that, they could have. They wanted to allow the people to vote on that, they could have. They did. Why? Because you're talking about a $2.4 billion entry. Excuse me, $12.4 billion entry in this state alone. Um, that's a whole lot of money. Absolutely. That's a whole lot of political influence. That's a whole lot of power. And let's be frank, what we're talking about is power considerations. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a bunch of poor people, black and brown people, people who this society has traditionally dehumanized and disposed of. This is the mechanism for that disposal. But you got to understand something, capitalism ain't wasted. Capitalism always seeks to turn a dollar on what it gets rid of. This is how they do that. They seek to socially contain and dispose of what they consider to be an undesirable population, surplus labor, that happens to be people of color. And they can do so in such a fashion where they can rake billions of dollars out of taxpayers' pockets and purses. And do so all unbeknownst to them that they the ones that's actually engineering this entire process. This is a racket. This is one of the primary reasons that 
we the, the comrade came up with the concept for the indictment and then I wrote the indictment. That's why we did. Because so many people do not know. They are wholly oblivious to the fact that a criminal conspiracy is being carried out in their name with their money. It's, it's an insane <laughs> set of affairs. It's, I mean, and at the same time, here you had this country shrouding the world stage talking about they're bashing the freedom and democracy. But you got the biggest, biggest prison population on the face of the planet. You know, Hashima, with that said, first of all, um, I just I, I just want to say just thank you so much for giving of your time um, because, because you state this over and over and over again and your, your commitment to, um, to educating us under the worst circumstances being enslaved, um, having this lived experience of what we are talking about. You're not out. And um, and you're in also for political reasons. They're just that, exactly. which is a whole other aspect. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you we have wise elders like you, plenty of you that are in here, and they are keeping you inside as well to keep this education yeah. from us. So I just, first exactly. of all, want to acknowledge that, and I do want you to, to, to comment on that, and I want to extend that this appreciation as well um, to Abdul, as well, and all of our, our brothers and sisters that are inside for political reasons, uh, because that's a whole other aspect of this, this sick system. So I just I wanted I just wanted to you know chime in to acknowledge uh, acknowledge all of you because you're continuing to give your time. I mean, at some point, I know for people out here, like how frustrated we would be to have to say this over and over and over again. Please get it in your your thick skulls what's taking place, but you do it with such love and and commitment and so much. Really, just want to appreciate you for that, and then. Um, I do want us to get into the indictment, and, and I love that you immediately, of course, you went right into this is a racket, and I want to start from this, just the second uh, paragraph. But I also, I wanted something that you were saying uh, made me think of, of something else, which is, and we're talking about um, the $12 you know, billion dollars that's generated. Prisoners in California are generating $11 billion on the plus side. Just like we talked about going back to this Arizona Right. Like what it is that Californians are benefiting from, whoever those Californians are. Many of us, it's not. We, I don't see the benefit personally, but right. So about 11 billion dollars on the plus side. And apparently it would cost one point five billion dollars, which is a fraction of the 11 billion dollars that is being generated. Right. And through savings, services, goods. Right. And that's just. And I am going to venture that there are other hundreds of millions of dollars that are being generated uh, in, in other areas that um, are not as easily quantifiable um, and that may just not may be hidden from that actual number. So it's going to be more. But let's say so apparently that's too expensive. It's too expensive to pay uh, the prisoners who are working at minimum wage. The $1.5 billion that it would take to pay them a, 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 the minimum wage for their work, right? Now, juxtapose that with Biden just gave another $1.7 billion to Ukraine to pay for their frontline and, uh, you know, first responders so that they could stay working. Would you like to please comment on that? All right. We are going to take a quick musical break. And it turns out that Hashima loves reggae. So I asked him if he had a song that he would like for me to play um, at, during this segment. And so here is Iron Storm by Black Uhuru. And then we will come back hearing from Hashima.
stress, should I be tested? Lucky thing aside, Jack. Oh, what a stress, should I be a prisoner? Look what they've done to Peter. Each and before I, my word has come to pass. Each and before I, them talking about my boss at last. What I and I has come to live and see Should I not run In the misery of their poverty The people are arming arm With their arms Decent folks live in fear Of their own life And if we should go arming arm Try to take our life and build strong. Oh, what a stress, great one as fast. Never ending life last. Surviving the iron storm, I pledge to do. Utterance from my lips, I feel the suffering too. Surviving the iron storm, killing is not my thing. That day, that night, not take a beating. Her blood will not be shed, unforgotten. I said she feel the bombs of Babylon, but day. Look what experience taught her in the long run. Babylon take her for the atmosphere. Hashima's response. Now you're talking about the interest of the state. Yeah. They have an interest in preserving the slave in America. $11 billion profit. The state of California alone, like you just expressed. They also have a geopolitical interest in propping up the Ukraine. One interest is imperialist in nature. The other interest is domestic imperialism. And I think it's something that a lot of people in this country don't understand what domestic imperialism is. Okay, the first thing you got to understand to understand why the prison industrial slave complex disproportionately impacts black and brown people, you have to understand that you use New Africans, because I can speak to that because I'm a New African myself. New African nation and the United States of America is two different countries. Okay, some people hearing this is like, what you mean by that? I thought we was Americans. No, you're not. Right. Your infant mortality rate 
is seven times higher than that of the average American. How much money you make is 30 times less than your American counterpart, your median income, all right? Your, you will die seven years earlier than your American counterpart. It means your life expectancy is lower. Mm-hmm. In every area of people activity, you are behind most. If you hold these basic statistics up to each other, then African America is a third world country. While the American is the American. Now, understanding that, why is that the case? Well, that's the case because you're over-policed, you're underfunded, you're undereducated, you're over-imprisoned, you're over-prosecuted, you're over-sentenced. That's not by chance of happenstance. It's a policy designed to socially contain a particular population of people. But they do so in such a fashion that they have the illusion of freedom and choice. But still control. We have a word for that. It's called fascism. Fascism is a mass psychology. Meaning it's not something that's imposed on people. It's something that you have to convince people to support. The very group of people that I just explained are, for all intents and purposes, another country living within this country actually support the mechanisms for their own oppression. They support the United They bleed the Americans. They actually refer to themselves as African-American. You know, that's oxymoron. Americans have been killing Africans as a matter of national policy since 1690. Yet, we identify with our oppressor. Someone comrades often say, uh, we say, uh, we got the we sick syndrome. Back during slave times, the house Negro <laughs> would tell Master when he gets sick, we, we, we sick, boss? We sick. We, we, we sick, boss? <laughs> and, 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 and they in full, they, you know, they, they, they healthy as hell and strong. Right. But hit his, hit, hit his old, hit his old white man when beating him with a whip for the lad. As long as he can remember. Somehow you identify his sickness with yourself. We sick both. What can I do to help you, Master? Right. Well, we have that as a national policy. Right. That's our national policy as a people. We sick syndrome. Hmm. At some juncture, at some point, you have to look at social life objectively. You have to say to yourself, what is occurring to me and what is occurring to my community is not in my interest. So I have to move to support my own interest. I have to do what's in my people's interest. It's not in my interest to allow the system to eat my son or my daughter. That ain't in my interest. So I have to change the social condition. Remember this. People's attitudes are reflective of their conditions. Look at our community. Look at the state there. It's the reason we prey on each other. We prey on each other because our attitudes have been warped just that badly by fascism. We got a word for that too. It's called, when you have abnormal behavior by colonial subjects, it's called colonial psychosis. It's the product of centuries contrapositive authoritarian conditioning. Now, the process of assimilation to the ruling class was different for our people than it was other people. Probably the only comparative people I can think of right now are Native Americans. We experienced the system of genocide or slavery. They experienced genocide. There is a particular national psychology that comes out of subjecting people to that type of horror. When you, the person that's dishing out that horror. You begin to believe your own, excuse my language, you begin to believe your own bull. You got these Americans actually believe they're the bastion of freedom in the mind. They think they're the good guys. And constantly Pretty forcing much. us to make these Pretty micro Pretty. justifications for what's taking that place. For anybody listening to my voice, they are not the good guys. <laughs> they are the bad guys. If you ever seen Star Wars, they are the evil empire. Right. 
Them the people who flag you waving every day when you talk about 4th of July. Somebody named Frederick Douglass said, you celebrate 4th of July, but for my people it means stripes and death. He's not just saying that. Right. That wasn't words that was just, you know, thrown out willy-nilly. It was predicated upon social practice. This was actually happening right now. As we speak, as you hear these words coming out of my mouth, it's occurring in your community right now. Now, you can choose to ignore that fact. You can choose to disagree. You can choose to say, well, we got a little bit better, but I'm going to again rely on someone the comrade said. And again, excuse my language. During the Chattel slave era, I'm going to give you all an analogy. We had 100 feet up our ass. <laughs> all right? Mm-hmm. Now, here it is, 2022, we only got 30 feet up our ass. Right. You still got feet in your ass. Right, exactly. <laughs> we don't want no more feet in our ass. That's the bottom line. When you have a system, which is systematically criminalizing social life for your people. That's wrong. When you have slavery being bandied about in the halls of power and political influence as though it's just nothing. Right, just normalized. Like, like, just normal. That's wrong. So wrong. So wrong. When you have a power that will rather spend billions of dollars wage a proxy war in another country to help you feed your kids or educate your children, it's wrong. No, it's it. what's worse. What's worse? Because I expect that in it. That's been the entire history for the length and breadth of this country. What's irrational, the thing I have a problem with, we ain't doing nothing about it. Right. We're not resisting in an organized, size and determined matter. We actually aiding and assisting in our own oppression. We helping them out. We aiding and assisting in our own genocide. I know. That's beyond irrational. I know. That's insane. But it's happening. So, when we talk about stuff like the indictment, these, these conversations that we have are being held to, in hopes of Educating people to their purpose. Right, right. Yeah, some a wise man that George Lester Jackson once said, <laughs> and it always advises what I do on a day-to-day basis. He said, the vast majority of people in this country, you like rose-colored glasses. And if you were to take those glasses from them, let them see the horror of reality as it actually exists in social life, they would kill you to get them glasses back and live a lot. He said the process of revolution is a war for the minds of the masses to convince them to take them glasses off themselves. See social life as it actually is and respond accordingly. There's no compulsion in revolution. And for those of y'all hearing my words, when you hear me use the word revolution, I'm talking about progressive social change. That's all the word means. It means change. Exactly. From something that's bad to something that's good. We just had a 45-minute discussion on what your country is doing, and we've all come to the conclusion it's wrong. It's bad. Right. Now we got to do something about it. Absolutely. And this is why I want to—I so appreciate you for your time, because the reality is people are going to have to hear this more times than than once or twice or three times or however many times it takes. And this is why they try to keep us from knowing this. And this is why you are still, and you you and many other new Africans are still enslaved. Because they don't want us to hear about this. Because they know once we start, once that brain starts getting chinked, once people start asking the question, that will make the change. Of course, I want it to exactly. happen sooner than later, but but that that is the reality. Because I'll tell you, I mean, and I will say this again, I will out myself over and over again, especially if it will help other people. And that is, you are the one that told me about the Thirteenth Amendment. 
So I'm 58. I was 50 probably when I met you. I think I met you eight years ago. What are we, 22, what? something like that? I don't even think it was that long. It was like six years ago or six or seven years ago. So I'm a new, I'm new to this people. I didn't know about the exception clause to the 13th Amendment until I met you, who are clearly experiencing it. I mean, you have literally changed my life. So people, the thing is, we have been sold this bill of goods, this complete genocidal lie for all of our lives. Most people still don't know. And I, and I will say this, I just met a woman in her 70s didn't know about the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. It means that she, you know, is close to going out of this life never knowing about the 13th Amendment, the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Me, <laughs> so I don't mean this thing. to take you down. I mean it to be... There's hope when we can continue to, like you said, have these conversations. Yeah. I do want to say this one thing because it's important to advise what you just said. Okay. What you just said underscores perhaps one of the most salient points and why critical thought is necessary and why it's so necessary. We live in a society that does not teach you how to think and teach you what to think. You live your life all the way to the age of 50 without even knowing the exception clause, 13th Amendment. Right. You just found the system 70 years old. Can it die? We're from the lead this world and she just now figured this out. Yeah. That's not by chance that happens. Exactly, exactly. It's by design. Yeah. If Check this out. They got they got a a, a, a systems manual utilized by United States of America called Silent Weapons, oh. Silent Weapons or Quiet Wars. Ooh. It's a training manual on social automation. It's how you automate a society. Oh my god. All right. The primary premise of the document was you can give people the illusion of freedom and dignity and still control them. And the way you can do that is by controlling their choices. Yeah. You control their idea and perception of what reality is and the parameters of that reality. Yeah. So they don't begin to think outside the dominant culture. All their choices is within a box that you created. Now, if you don't know nothing exists outside that box, when new information is introduced to you, one of two things is going to happen. Either one, you're going to reject that out of hand. Because for you, it ain't in the box. So it must not be right. <laughs> or, right. or two, you're going to change. Right. That change, we call it internal revolution. Mm -hmm. I don't care how small that change is, it moved you from one social perspective to a more progressive social perspective. You began to see world just a little bit big you, you, you get you got to see a peek behind the curtain just a little bit more you might not see the whole machine but you damn sure seen that plug right there and that plug go to something that's right so that's where critical thought begin and this is why certain conversations are so vitally important because we live in a society of i hate to use the term but blind and dumb people they can't see they can't hear they can't talk can't say nothing if you don't know something exists. You can't see it if you're running around with rose-colored glasses on. Damn sure can't hear it if you got fingers in you. But if I can convince you just for a second, take them glasses off, pull one of them fingers out your ear, or just give you a little bit of knowledge that you can shoot out your lips in somebody else's ear, that'll make them peek around that same corner you can peek around. Guess what? I just made this world a better place. Because inevitably, the thoughts, they're going to build and build and build. We call it that spiral. And that spiral is ever onward and upward. It don't never stop. Right. And ultimately, it's going to lead to the social transformation of the entire culture. And you're going to have a new one. You, you talk about these crucial conversations, and I think this is what people continually need to hear. Because, yeah, it was a it was kind of a slow um, awakening for me. Cause I, w I remember back in the early eighties, um, I happened to read some article that said the fastest growing business 
our prisons. I remember asking, I was like, wait a minute. If, if, if prisons are the fastest growing business, a business, doesn't that mean that they need clients? Exactly. <laughs> but here's the thing, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. I remember asking the question. I never got an answer from anybody, never saw anything else about it. I always wanted to see the best of everything. I mean, I have these questions, but I unfortunately didn't have that person around me to answer that question. And so to come back 30 years later, or however many years later, and see what had taken place from not getting that answer, <laughs> getting that answer to my question, I was horrified. But I still didn't ever see it as, um, I could never see it as slavery. That, that, that never crossed my mind. It took some many years later after that, and I was reading these books, and they were clearly telling me there's another form of slavery happening, but I still couldn't wrap my brain around. Not So there's that thing, right, of the, the social conditioning. And, um, and, and, you know, and this is a person that wanted to know. I mean, I didn't go deep into exploring it until I did, right? I opened up myself... So, again, I, I, I can just, it's so painful, but I'm so grateful because I would, I, that, I, do, I, I do not want to go out of here having done nothing about slavery on my watch, especially then meeting all of you, you know, who have, are now my mentors and, you know, you know, taking me through, you know, a life of, you know, higher consciousness around what's taking place. Thank you. Oh, sis, I, this is uh, this is my chosen lifestyle. I'm just doing what. This ain't even what I do. Is who I am. I mean, I know, but I really want people to understand that you're not home, and in your, you're still in there, and they're keeping you in there because of this. Oh, no question. I mean, again, uh, historical materialism is just such a powerful tool. It's, it's something I think so few people actually utilize to be full, uh, full benefit. Uh, the historical record actually gives us a glimpse into future social conditions. Uh, this country has traditionally always, I mean, going back to uh, uh, Gable Prophecy, Mark, uh, Mark Bessie. Uh, I go on and on and on. Fred Hampton, David E. Walker, George mm -hmm. Jackson. Whenever you had a voice that actually sought to articulate truth of this beast, they have killed it. They have repressed it. They have criminalized it. They have sought to discredit them in every possible way. They have sought to repress it. Repression breeds, uh, 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 it's opposite. It breeds resistance. Right. And it's one of the reasons why, I don't care how many years solitary confinement, how many races you send my way, how many, many 14 bullets you shooting me, it ain't going to stop nothing. It ain't going to stop me, it ain't going to stop my comrades. We ain't going to never stop, even when I'm gone. Because sisters and brothers like you are still going to be here. We're going to keep resisting. And we're going to keep resisting. And we're going to keep resisting until such time as we transform social conditions where humanity does not have to live this way. Where we shine the light of freedom, justice, and equality across the face of all humanity like a star in the night. We're going to never stop. And so neither us. We won't. We won't. I appreciate you, sis. Oh, I love you too, brother. Really. You're just amazing. So amazing. We are, we are grateful, and whether people know it or not, um, to have you as, um, as our uh, teacher. Yeah, 
<laughs> All right. We will talk again. All right, sis. Peace All and right. power. All right. Yes. Peace and power. All right, beautiful people. That is our show. Um, I hope you feel the blessing of being able to uh, hear from the Hashima and his incredible wisdom and his true love of humanity and that revolutionary love. You can pick up uh, the the booklet, The Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex. You can pick that up on Amazon, actually. And um, I encourage you all to go to the amendthe13th.org uh, website uh, where you will see all of Jokahashima Jinsai's work as well as going to sfbayview.com where you can read many of his articles and prisons.org, the California Prison Focus website uh, where this particular program, Prison Focus Radio, was born from. Hope you have a wonderful week. We will see you next week. We will continue um, with our conversation uh, with Jokahashima Jensai um, and this booklet as well as other things that come up. And we are going to go out of here with another one of Hashima's favorite songs, Rally Round by Steel Pulse. So uh, we will go out of here with that and get ready for work week with Steve Seltzer. Now you know